0: Thanks so much for your listenership and support.
1: Good evening. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm here
0: to help calm your mind and send you into a peaceful, Night sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading, the Merry Adventures of Robin Hood, How Sir Richard of Lee Paid His Debts by Howard Pyle.
1: So let your eyes fall heavy. And your breath soften. As we settle in, for a peaceful. Night sleep. How Sir Richard of Lee paid his
0: debts. The long highway stretched on straight, grey and dusty in the sun. On either side were dykes full of water, bordered by osiers. And far away in the distance stood the towers of Emmet Priory, with tall poplars all around. Along the causeway rode a knight with a score of stout men-at-arms behind him. The knight was clad in plain, long robe of grey serge, gathered in at the waist, with a broad leathern belt, from which hung a long dagger and a stout sword. But though he was so plainly dressed himself, the horse he rode was a noble barb, and its trappings were rich with silk and silver bells. So thus the band journeyed along the causeway between the dikes till at last they reached the great gate of Emmet Priory. There the knight called to one of his men, and bade him knock at the porter's lodge with the heft of his sword. The porter was drowsing on his bench within the lodge, but at the knock he roused himself, and, opening the wicket, came hobbling forward and greeted the knight, while a tame starling that hung in a wicker cage within piped out. Inculo quiz, Inculo quees, such being the words that the poor old porter had taught him to speak. Where is thy prior? asked the knight of the old porter. He is at a meet, good knight, and he looketh for thy coming, quoth the porter. For, if I mistake not, thou art Sir Richard of Lee. I am Sir Richard of Lee. Then I will go seek him forthwith, said the knight. But shall I not send thy horse to stable, said the porter. By our lady, it is the noblest nag and the best harnessed that e'er I saw in all my life. And he stroked the horse's flank with his palm. Nay, quoth Sir Richard, the stables of this place are not for me. So make way, I prithee. So saying, he pushed forward and. The gates being opened, he entered the stony courtyard of the priory, his men behind him. In they came with rattle of steel and clashing of swords, and ring of horses' feet on cobblestones, whereat a flock of pigeons that strutted in the sun, flew with flapping wings to the high eaves of the round towers. While the knight was riding along the causeway to Emmet, a merry feast was toward in the refectory there. The afternoon sun streamed in through the great arched windows and lay in broad squares of light upon the stone floor and across the board, covered with a snowy linen cloth, whereon was spread a princely feast. At the head of the table sat Prior Vincent of Emmet, all clad in robes of fine cloth and silk. On his head was a black velvet cap picked out with gold. And around his neck hung a heavy chain of gold, with a great locket pendant therefrom. Beside him, on the arm of his great chair, roosted his favourite falcon, For the prior was fond of the gentle craft of hawking. On his right hand sat the sheriff of Nottingham, in rich robes of purple, all trimmed about with fur, and on his left a famous doctor of law in dark and sober garb. Below these sat the high cellarer of Emmet and others chief among the brethren. Jest and laughter passed around, and all was as merry as merry could be. The wizened face of the man of law was twisted into a wrinkled smile, for in his pouch were fourscore golden angels that the prior had paid him in fee for the case betwixt him and Sir Richard of Lee. The learned doctor, had been paid beforehand, for he had not overmuch trust in the holy Vincent of Emmet. Quoth the sheriff of Nottingham, but art thou sure, Sir Prior, that thou hast the land so safe? Aye, marry," said Prior Vincent, smacking his lips after a deep draught of wine. I have kept a close watch upon him, albeit he was unawares of the same, and I know right well that he hath no money to pay me withal. Aye, true, said the man of law in a dry, husky voice, his land is surely forfeit if he cometh not to pay, but "'Sir prior, thou must get a release beneath his sign-manual, "'or else thou canst not hope to hold the land without trouble from him.' "'Yea,' said the prior, "'so thou hast told me ere now, "'but I know that this knight is so poor "'that he will gladly sign away his lands.' For two hundred pounds of hard money. Then up spake the high cellarer. Methinks it is a shame to so drive a misfortunate knight to the ditch. I think it sorrow that the noblest estate in Derbyshire should so pass away from him for a paltry five hundred pounds. Truly, Ay, how now, broke in the prior in a quivering voice, his eyes glistening and his cheeks red with anger. Dost thou prate to my very beard, Siret? By Saint Hubert, thou hast best saved thy breath to call thy pottage, else it may scold thy mouth. Nay, said the man of law smoothly, I dare swear this same night will never come to settlement this day, but will prove recreant. Nevertheless, we will seek some means to gain his lands from him, so never fear. But even as the doctor spoke, There came a sudden clatter of horses' hooves and a jingle of iron mail in the courtyard below. Then up spake the prior, and called upon one of the brethren that sat below the salt, and bade him to look out the window and see who was below. Albeit he knew right well, it could be none but Sir Richard. So the brother arose and went and looked, and he said, I see below a score of stout men-at-arms, and a knight just dismounting from his horse. He is dressed in long robes of grey, which, methinks, are of poor seeming, but the horse he rideth upon hath the richest coursing "'that I ever saw. "'The knight dismounts, "'and they come this way, "'and are even now below in the great hall. "'Lo, see ye there now,' "'quoth Prior Vincent. "'Here ye have a knight with so lean a purse "'as scarce to buy him a crust of bread to munch. "'Yet, He keeps a band of retainers, and puts rich trappings upon his horse's hide, while his own back goeth bare. Is it not well that such men should be brought low? But art thou sure, said the little doctor tremulously, that this night will do us no harm? Such as he are fierce when crossed, And he hath a band of naughty men at his heels, Mayhap thou hast better give an extension of his debt. Thus he spake, for he was afraid Sir Richard might do him harm. Thou needest not fear, said the prior, Looking down at the little man beside him. This knight is gentle, and would soon as think of harming an old woman as thee. As the prior finished, a door at the lower end of the refectory swung open, and in came Sir Richard, with folded hands, and a head bowed upon his breast. Thus humbly he walked slowly up the hall, while his men-at-arms stood about the door. When he had come to where the prior sat, he knelt upon his knee. Save and keep thee, Sir Prior, said he. I am come to keep my day. When the first word that the prior said to him was, Hast thou brought my money? Alas, I have not so much as one penny upon my body, said the knight, whereat the prior's eyes
1: sparkled. Now thou art a shrewd debtor, I wot, said he. Then, Sir
0: Sheriff, I drink to thee. But still the knight kneeled upon the hard stones. So the prior turned to him again. What wouldst thou have? Quoth he sharply. At these words, A slow red mounted into the knight's cheeks, But still he knelt. I would crave thy mercy, Said he, As thou hopest for heaven's mercy. Show mercy to me. Strip me not, Of my lands And so reduce A true knight To poverty. Thy day is broken And thy lands forfeit Said the man of law Plucking up his spirits At the knight's Humble speech. Quoth Sir Richard Thou man of law Wilt thou not Befriend me In mine hour of need? Nay Said the other, I hold with this holy prior, Who hath paid me my fees in hard gold, So that I am bounder to him. Wilt thou not be my friend, Sir Sheriff? Said Sir Richard. Nay, for heaven, quoth the Sheriff of Nottingham, This is no business of mine. Yet I will do what I may, and he nudged the prior beneath the cloth with his knee. Wilt thou not ease him of some of his debts, Sir Prior? At this the prior smiled grimly. Pay me three hundred pounds, Sir Richard, said he, and I will give thee quittance of thy debt. Thou knowest, Sir Prior, that it is as easy for me to pay four hundred pounds as three hundred, said Sir Richard. But wilt thou not give me another twelve-month to pay my debt? Not another day, said the Prior sternly. And is this all thou wilt do for me? asked the Knight. Now out upon thee, false knight, cried the prior, bursting forth in anger. Either pay thy debt as I have said, or release thy land and get thee gone from out my hall. Then Sir Richard arose to his feet. Thou false, lying priest, said he in so stern a voice, that the man of law shrunk affrightened. I am no false knight, as thou knowest full well, but have even held my place in the press and the tournay. Hast thou so little courtesy, that thou wouldst see a true knight kneel for all this time, or see him come into thy hall And never offer him meat or drink. Then quoth the man of law in a trembling voice, This is surely an ill way to talk of matters Appertaining to business. Let us be mild in speech. What wilt thou pay this knight, Sir prior, To give thee release of his land? I would have given him two hundred pounds, Quoth the prior. But since he hath spoken so vilely to my teeth, Not one groat over one hundred pounds will he get. Hadst thou offered me a hundred pounds, False prior, said the knight, Thou wouldst not have got an inch of my land. Then, turning to where his men-at-arms stood near the door, he called, Come hither, and beckoned with his finger, whereupon the tallest of them all came forward and handed him a long leathern bag. Sir Richard took the bag and shot from it upon the table, a glittering stream of golden money. Bear in mind, Sir Prior, said he, that thou hast promised me quittance for three hundred pounds. Not one farthing above that shalt thou get. So saying, he counted out three hundred pounds and pushed it towards the prior. But now the prior's hands dropped at his sides, and the prior's head hung upon his shoulder. For not only had he lost all his hopes of the land, but he had forgiven the knight one hundred pounds of his debt, and he had needlessly paid the man of law fourscore angels. To him he turned, and quoth he, Give me back my money that thou hast. Nay, cried the other shrilly, It is but my fee that thou didst pay me, And thou gettest it not back. And he hugged his gown about him. Now, Sir Prior, quoth Sir Richard, I have held my debt and paid all the dues demanded of me. So, as there is no more betwixt us, I leave this vile place straight away. So saying, he turned upon his heel and strode away. All this time, the sheriff had been staring with wide open eyes and mouth agape at the tall men-at-arms who stood as though carved out of stone. At last he gasped out, "Reynold Greenleaf. At this, who was no other than Little John, turned, grinning to the sheriff. I give thee good den, fair gossip, quoth he. I would say, sweet sheriff, That I have heard all thy pretty talk this day, And it shall be duly told unto Robin Hood. So farewell, till we meet again in Sherwood Forest. Then he also turned and followed Sir Richard down the hall, Leaving the sheriff, all pale and amazed, Shrunk together upon his chair. A merry feast it was to which Sir Richard came, but a sorry lot he left behind him, and little hunger they had for the princely food spread before them. Only the learned doctor was happy, for he had his fee. Now, a twelve-month and a day passed since Prior Vincent of Emmet sat at feast. And once more the mellow fall of another year had come. But the year had brought great change, I wot, To the lands of Sir Richard of the Lay, For, where before shaggy wild grasses grew upon the meadow, Now all stretch away in gold stubble, Betokening that a rich and plentiful crop had been gathered therefrom. A year had made a great change in the castle also, for, where were empty moats and crumbling of neglect, all was now orderly and well kept. Bright shone the sun on battlement and tower, and in the blue air overhead, a hawk, of clattering jackdaws flew around and glided in the weather vane and spire. Then, in the brightness of the morning, the drawbridge fell across the moat with a rattle and clank of chains, the gate of the castle swung slowly open, and a goodly array of steel clad men at arms. And a goodly array of steel-clad men-at-arms, with a knight all clothed in chain-mail, as white as frost on brer and thorn of winter morning, came flashing out from the castle courtyard. In his hand the knight held a great spear, from the point of which fluttered a blood-red pennant, as broad as the palm of one's hand. So this troop came forth from the castle, and in the midst of them walked three pack-horses, laden with parcels of diverse shapes and kinds. Thus rode forth good Sir Richard of Lee to pay his debt to Robin Hood this bright and merry morn. Along the highway they wended their way with measured tramp of feet and rattle and jingle of sword and harness. Onward they marched till they came nigh to Denby, where, from top of a hill, they saw, over beyond the town, many gay flags and streamers floating in the bright air. Then Sir Richard turned to the man-at-arms nearest to him. What is toward yonder
1: at Denby today? quoth he. Please
0: your worship, answered the man-at-arms. A merry fair is held there today, And a great wrestling match, to which many folk have come, For a prize hath been offered, of a pipe of red wine, a fair golden ring, and a pair of gloves, all of which go to the best wrestler. Now by my faith, quoth Sir Richard, who loved good manly sports right well. This will be a goodly thing to see, methinks we have to stay a little while on our journey. And see this merry sport. So he turned his horse's head aside towards Denby and the fair, and thither he and his men made their way. There they found a great hubbub of merriment. Flags and streamers were floating, tumblers were tumbling on the green, bagpipes were playing and lads and lasses were dancing to the music. But the crowds were gathered most of all around a ring where the wrestling was going forward, and thither Sir Richard and his men turned their steps. Now when the judges of the wrestling saw Sir Richard coming and knew who he was, The chief of them came down from the bench where he had been sat and went to the knight and took him by the hand, beseeching him to come sit with them and judge the sport. So Sir Richard got down from his horse and went with the others to the bench, raised behind the ring. Now... There had been great doings that morning, for a certain yeoman named Egbert, who came from Stoke over in Staffordshire, had thrown with ease all that came against him. But a man of Denby, well known through all the countryside as William of the Scar, had been biding his time with the Stoke man. So... When Egbert had thrown everyone else out, Stout William leaped into the ring. Then a tough bout followed, and at least he threw Egbert heavily, whereat there was a great shouting and shaking of hands, for all the Denbymen were proud of their wrestler. When Sir Richard came, he found Stout William, puffed up by the shouts of his friends, walking up and down the ring, daring anyone to come and try to throw with him. Come one, come all, quoth he, here stand I, William of the Scar, against any man. If there is none in Derbyshire to come against me, come all who will, from Nottingham. Stafford or York, and if I do not make them one and all root the ground with their noses like swine in the forest, call me no more brave William the wrestler. At this all laughed, but above all the laughter, a loud voice was heard to cry out, Sin, thou talkest so big. Here cometh one from Nottinghamshire to try a fall with thee, fellow. And straightway a tall youth with a tough quarter staff in his hand came pushing his way through the crowd and at last leaped lightly over the rope into the ring. He was not as heavy as stout William, but he was taller and broader in the shoulders and all his joints were well knit. Sir Richard looked upon him keenly, then, turning to one of the judges, he said, Knowest thou who this youth is? Methinks I have seen him before. Nay, said the judge, he is a stranger to me. Meantime, without a word, the young man, laying aside his quarter-staff, began to take off his jerkin and body-clothing, until he presently stood with naked arms and body, and a comely sight he was when so bare to the view, for his muscles were cut round and smooth and sharp like swift-running water. And now each man spat upon his hands, and clapping them upon his knees, Squatted down, watching the other keenly, so as to take advantage of him in the grip. Then, like a flash, they leaped together, and a great shout went up, For William had gotten the better hold of the two. For a short time, they strained and struggled and writhed, and then stout William gave his most cunning trip and throw, but the stranger met it with greater skill than his, and so the trip came to naught. Then, of a sudden, with a twist and a wrench, the stranger loosened himself, and he of the scar, found himself locked in a pair of arms that fairly made his ribs crack. So, with heavy, hot breathing, they stood for a while straining, their bodies all glistening with sweat, and great drops of sweat trickling down their faces. But the stranger's hug was so close that at last... Stout William's muscles softened under his grip, and he gave a sob. Then the youth put forth all his strength, and gave a sudden trip with his heel, and a cast over his right hip. And down Stout William went, with a sickening thud, and lay as though he would never move hand nor foot again. But now no shout went up for the stranger, but an angry murmur was heard among the crowd. So easily had he won the match. Then one of the judges, a kinsman of William of the Scar, rose with trembling lip and baleful look. Quoth he, if thou hast slain that man, It will go ill with thee, let me tell thee, fellow. But the stranger answered boldly. He took his chance with me as I took mine with him. No law can touch me to harm me, even if I slew him, so that it was fairly done in the wrestling ring. That we shall see, said the judge. SCOWLING UPON THE YOUTH, WHILE ONCE MORE AN ANGRY MURMUR RAN AROUND THE CROWD, FOR, AS I HAVE SAID, THE MEN OF DEMBY WERE PROUD OF STOUT WILLIAM OF THE SCAR. THEN UP SPOKE SIR RICHARD GENTLY. NAY, SAID HE, THE YOUTH IS RIGHT, IF THE OTHER DIETH, HE DIETH IN THE WRESTLING RING where he took his chance and was cast fairly now. But in the meantime, three men had come forward and lifted Stout William from the ground and found that he was not dead, though badly shaken by his heavy fall. Then the chief judge rose and said, Young man, the prize is duly thine. Here is the red-gold ring, and here the gloves. And yonder stands the pipe of wine, to do with whatsoever thou dost list. At this, the youth, who had donned his clothes and taken up his staff again, bowed without a word. Then, taking the gloves and the ring, and thrusting the one into his girdle, And slipping the other into his thumb, he turned and, leaping lightly over the ropes again, made his way through the crowd and was gone. Now, I wonder who yon youth may be, said the judge, turning to Sir Richard. He seemeth like a stout Saxon from his red cheeks and fair hair. This William of ours is a stout man too, And never have I seen him cast in the ring before, Albeit he hath not yet striven With such great wrestlers as Thomas of Cornwall, Dickon of York, and young David of Doncaster. Hath he not a firm foot in the ring, Thinkest thou, Sir Richard? Truly, and yet this youth threw him fairly and with wondrous ease. I much wonder who he can be. Thus said Sir Richard in a thoughtful voice. For a time the knight stood talking to those about him, but at last he arose and made ready to depart. So he called his men about him and tightening the girths of his saddle, he mounted his horse once more. Meanwhile, the young stranger had made his way through the crowd, but, as he passed, he heard all around him such words were muttered as, Look at that cockerel! Behold how he plumeth himself! I dare swear he cast good William unfairly. Yea, truly, saw ye no birdlime upon his hands. It would be well to cut his cock's comb. To all this the stranger paid no heed, But strode proudly about as though he heard it not. So he walked slowly across the green to where the booth stood wherein was dancing, and standing at the door, he looked in on the sport. As he stood thus, a stone struck his arm of a sudden with a sharp jar, and turning, he saw that an angry crowd of men had followed him from the wrestling ring. Then, when they saw him turn so, a great hooting and yelling arose from all, so that the folk came running out from the dancing booth to see what was to do. At last, a tall, broad-shouldered, burly blacksmith strode forward from the crowd, swinging a mighty blackthorn club in his hand. Wouldst thou come here to our fair town of Denby, Thou jack-in-the-box, To overcome a good, honest lad With vile, juggling tricks? Growled he in a deep voice Like the bellow of an angry bull. Take that, then. And of a sudden he struck a blow at the youth That might have fell an ox but the other turned the blow deftly aside and gave back another so terrible that the Denby man went down with a groan as though he had been smitten by lightning. When they saw their leader fall, the crowd gave another angry shout, but the stranger placed his back against the tent near which he stood swinging his terrible staff, and so fell had been the blow that he struck, the stout smith had that not dared to come within the measure of his cudgel, so the press crowded back, like a pack of dogs from a bear at bay. But now some coward hand from behind, threw a sharp, jagged stone that smoked The stranger on the crown, so that he staggered back, and the red blood gushed from the cut and ran down his face over his jerkin. Then, seeing him dazed with this vile blow, the crowd rushed upon him, so that they overbore him and he fell beneath their feet. Now it might have gone ill with the youth even to the losing of his young life, had not Sir Richard come to this fair, for of a sudden shouts were heard, and steel flashed in the air, and blows were given with the flat of swords, while through the midst of the crowd Sir Richard of Lay came spurring on his white horse. Then the crowd, seeing the steel-clad knight, and the armed men melted away like snow on the warm hearth, leaving the young man all bloody and dusty upon the ground. Finding himself free, the youth arose, wiping the blood from his face, looked up, quoth he, Sir Richard of Lee. Mayhap thou hast saved my life this day. Who art thou that knoweth Sir Richard of Ley so well? Quoth the knight. Methinks I've seen thy face before, young man. Yea, thou hast, said the youth, For men call me David of Doncaster. Ha! said Sir Richard. I wonder that I knew thee not, David, but thy beard hath grown longer, and thou thyself art more set in manhood since this day twelve month. Come hither into the tent, David, and wash the blood from thy face. So saying, the knight led David into the tent, and there the youth washed the blood from his face. And put on the clean jerkin. Then Sir Richard called aloud to the fair, Friends, this is David of Doncaster, So think it no shame that your Denby man Was cast by such a wrestler. He beareth you no ill will for what hath passed, But let it be a warning to you, How ye treat strangers henceforth. Had ye slain him, It would have been an ill day for you, For Robin Hood would have harried your town, As the kestrels harry the dovecote. I have brought the pipe of wine from him, And now I give it freely to you To drink as ye list. But never hereafter, FALL UPON A MAN FOR BEING A STOUT yeoman. At this all shouted amain, but in truth they thought more of the wine than of the knight's words. Then Sir Richard, with David beside him and his men-at-arms around, turned about and left the fair. Robin Hood stood in the merry greenwood with Little John and most of his stout yeomen around him, awaiting Sir Richard's coming. At last, a glint of steel was seen through the brown forest leaves, and forth from the covert into the open rode Sir Richard at the head of his men. He came straight forward to Robin Hood. "'and leaping from his horse, clasped the yeoman in his arms. "'Why, how now?' said Robin, after a time, "'holding Sir Richard off and looking at him from top to toe. Methinks thou art a gayer bird than when I see thee last.' "'Yes, thanks to thee, Robin,' said the knight laying his hand upon the yeoman's shoulder. But I have kept my word, Robin, and I have brought back the money that thou didst lend me, and which I have doubled four times over again, and so become rich once more. Sir Richard, quoth Robin, thou wilt pleasure us all if thou wilt keep that money as a gift from us of Sherwood. Is it not so, my lads? Then all shouted I with a mighty voice. I thank you all deeply, said the knight earnestly, but think it not ill of me if I cannot take it. Gladly have I borrowed it from you, but it may not be that I can take it as a gift. Then Robin Hood said no more but gave the money to little John to put it away in the treasury, for he had shrewdness enough to know that naught breeds ill-will and heart-bitterness like gifts forced upon one that cannot choose but to take them. Then Sir Richard had his packs laid upon the ground and opened, whereupon, A great shout went up that made the forest ring again. For lo, there were ten score bows of finest Spanish yew, All burnished till they shone again, And each bow inlaid with fanciful figures of silver, Yet not inlaid so as to mar their strength. Sir Richard gave to each yeoman, A bow and a quiver of arrows, But to Robin he gave a stout bow, Inlaid with the cunningest workmanship in gold, While each arrow in his quiver was inocked with gold. Then all shouted again for joy of their gifts, And all swore among themselves That they would die if need be for Sir Richard and his lady. Thus Robin Hood helped a noble knight out of his dire misfortune that else would have smothered the happiness from his
1: life.